and welcome to episode 60 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. I am your host, Adam C. McKinnon, joined as often by the Stat Master General, Jim Passon Jr. Jim. Hey, good evening. And our guest tonight is uh, Devin Fink, a writer at Fangraphs, I have one of my first follows on Twitter, so this is... Uh, this is something like a something like a social media dream come true here, uh, De- Devin. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Love talking ball. Absolutely, man. And you know, one of the things that um, you know, I, I Jim, you, we don't do video, so Jim, they can't see that I like that I shaved because I wasn't going to be the the least youthful looking person on this show. Because yeah. you guys both, you know, you're very clean shaven, you're very youthful looking, and, and I just felt like I, could, I couldn't I could do that. So uh, I think it's the first time you've shaved since the pandemic. It, it, it might sure be. It feels like it. It might be, man. It's been, it's been a long year. Long time. But, uh, but so we, um, so I, I want, we wanted to bring Devin into this because, you know, Devin being of the, of the more analytical mindset, uh, wanted to get some perspective on this. And this is something that I think is kind of, a bellowing debate inside of baseball. Um, you know, uh, I was, I was listening or I was kind of trolling through some of the John boy podcasts and I saw a, you know, credit to Ian Happ and his podcast. I've I'm, I'm automatically, I already forget the name of it, the compound, I think, or something of that nature. And he says, uh, you know, it's Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and then a big gap. And personally, I disagree with that sentiment. I think that now I not the not with uh, Trout and Betts being one and two. I do agree with that. I'm not so sure it's such a wide gap, and I think there's a lot of people that a lot of players that maybe aren't getting the respect in that conversation. So I took to Twitter, Jim, as you know, I often do, mm-hmm. and I wanted to kind of get so some. Often. <laughs> so often, <laughs> I'm just so looking for that clout, man. Uh, I'm yep. trying. To, uh, I'll I'll never be Bailey, but I'll try. Uh, so, (laughs) so I'm going to, uh, so I, I asked who's the third best player in baseball and, you know, we're going to get into what, what Devin and and what you think, because I I really want to hear what you think, um, about this, but Twitter seems to think, uh, that Acuna and Soto, they make up about 80% of the votes, you know, Acuna taking 47, 48% really Soto taking 42%. Very few suggestions otherwise. Do you guys feel like, and I'll start with you, Devin, do you feel like th- it's that clear cut that it's just like either one of these two guys and that's it? I mean, I think it's uh, when you're doing, you're trying to figure out who the best player in baseball is. I think it's, uh, it's a little bit deeper of a question because it's not a question of like, who would you start your team with today? Mm-hmm. Right. Because that, you know, I think Soto's higher because of his age. And, and I think there's an even an argument. I'm not sure, you know, that's a fair one that you take him over trout if you're starting a team today because of his age. Mm -hmm. So I think best is a combination of looking retrospectively and also like looking at who you'd want now and kind of trying to blend those two. Um, And I think Soto and Acuna obviously are very um, good candidates. I'd probably pick Acuna as the third best player, but I also think when you blend the retrospective a little bit, you know, guys like Anthony Rendon and Alex Bregman, could be thrown into the mix as well. I don't know that I would take them over Acuna right now. I probably wouldn't, but I think like, you know, Rendon often doesn't get his, his fair share of the discussion either. And, you know, he's, he hasn't been a slouch 
of late at all. Whereas like someone like Christian Yelich, who probably would have been the third best player, kind of has been struggled struggled last year and, and has kind of had a weird start to this year. So he's kind of fallen off a little bit. But that's kind of how I view a question like this, even to start. Right. It's a little more nebulous than that. Jim, what do you think? I am not near that thorough at all. That's what I, that's what I, no. Um, you know, I, I, for me, you know, it, uh, the numbers uh, seem to speak that um, Trout and Betts, uh, they are one and two still. Um, I, I mean, Trout's, I think, I think he's more the one. And then, uh, and I guess I would consider Betts probably like a 2B behind him in my eyes. I think mm-hmm. that Trout separates himself that much as a hitter that, um, he can get away from a five-tool player like Betts. But uh, from Betts down to, say, like Acuna Soto, uh, I think they're closer than maybe we think. I still think Betts too. Um, but, I mean, I really love Soto and everything, but to me I feel like Acuna is probably the third best player just because of the tools that he's carrying with him. And age doesn't really matter where they're both at right now. Um, I agree with Devin uh, about – uh, Rendon, um, he definitely has a, a spot near this list. Um, and I also feel like even though uh, Alex Bregman hasn't been what he's wanted to be over the last two seasons, it's been a short one this year and a short one last year. But if you look back uh, over the st- same span of time from 2018 to 2021 that Acuna and Soto been around, Bregman's just been just as good. The only thing that's, you know, really against him is the fact that it's been, what have you done for me lately? And lately it's been Soto and Acuna. So I think right. Bregman to me is probably uh, a part of that small group. It's interesting. You know, and we're going to get it more into the sort of the other entrance into all of this, but I want to hone in for a second on Acuna and Soto in particular, because again, like you, I agree with you. There's a lot of recency bias here. Because it wasn't it just a few months ago, like before the start of the season, we were all ragging, ragging on Acuna because he struck out too much. And now, you know, he's batting 500 and, you know, he's, he's, he's instantly the easy choice, right? Um, so I want to run down, you know, in, in a traditional scouting report, you know, you've got a hit tool, power tool, uh, eye, glove, arm, and speed. Um, at least that's what I'm going off of. Uh, Keith Law is not here to correct me, so I'm just going to roll with that. Um, so I want to run down and between Acuna and Soto, I'd like to get each of your takes on the, each tool in terms of, do you think, who do you think has the edge in this? And not only who has the edge, but is it a wide gap? Is it a narrow gap? Is it a push? So, um, Devin, I'll start with you and I'll start with the hit tool. So between Acuna and Soto hit tool, is it close? Like, what do you think? Uh, I think it's close. I, I think I'd edge I'd edge Soto there. Um, I think he's he's more of a line drive sort of hitter. I mean, they both are. They're both just excellent hitters. Um, but I, when I think of Soto, I think he's probably got a slight edge in the in the hit tool. Um, part of that is like I'm not someone who loves just looking at batting average, mm-hmm. right? So I might be conflating that a little bit with the eye tool. Um, but uh, no, I'm doing I think, the same thing. My, I'm doing my the vote same is thing. my vote's probably for Soto on the, on the straight hit tool. I mean, he hit 351 last year, and yeah, it was a short season, but I mean, he's a, he's a, a very close to a career 300 hitter. Um, and again, he's 22 years old, and so that w- number will probably only go up as he enters his prime. Right. What Jim? What Jim? What do you think? I give the edge to uh, Soto on the hitting side myself. Um, I, I think it's. Um, 
maybe a little bit closer over the last couple of years, but if we take their work over their careers, which are pretty close to each other, I think uh, coming into today, they played only three different, uh, three games apart from each other. One played 325, one played 328 career games. So uh, they're really close in, in the amount of time that they've been out there. Um, but overall you can just see Soto um, with the, 151 WRC plus versus uh, Acuna at 142. His OPS plus has even got a farther gap on him at 153 versus 138. Um, It's just more patient of a a hitter. I I, I love his approach at the plate. Um, Not afraid to work a count, not afraid to uh, uh, draw the walk and just take it and move along and keep the bases uh, full. So, uh, to me, I think that Soto is just more complete um, at the dish than Acuna, and, and that's no knock on Acuna, right? The, the For sure, it's got plenty of presence out on the at the plate. But to me, it's just uh, I mean, Soto just when for this is something I came across today. I, I, I thought was interesting, right? Um, where Acuna is in in count, where Acuna is not just ahead in the count, but he's ahead in the count like three balls to one strike, two balls to no strikes, or three balls to no strikes. Um, when he's in those counts, Acuna swings at the next pitch 51% of the time. In Soto's case, that number is closer to 32%, which is more like the league average. He's really not under or over aggressive compared to most. Uh, Soto isn't, but mm-hmm. Acuna is super ridiculously aggressive, and uh, I think that's m- maybe just helps the advantage for Soto. But Okay. Yeah, great, both great players, but Soto for me. I tend, I tend to, I agree with both of you. I think Soto has the better hit tool, and much like Devin, I'm, I, I feel like I'm conflating it a little bit with the eye tool, like the discipline. Like, I don't think that, short of like Joey Votto, I can't think of a more disciplined hitter or a hitter with a more natural feel for the strike zone as Soto. He just, he has, he. It's almost like he knows exactly the pitch he's going to hit. And if he and if you don't give him that pitch, he knows the next two or three that he's going to hit. If you don't give him that one, he seems incredibly instinctual at the plate. And I and I only don't say prepared because I just don't think he has enough experience, like real game experience, to to go the Joey Votto route. But I think he he's incredibly instinctual. Uh, at the plate. And, um, so I, I tool, I think we all agree. I don't even think we need to go into that too much unless you guys have something, but like I tool, like, yeah, Soto pretty, pretty, pretty notable gap there uh, to me. Yeah. Agree. Agreement, Jim. Very much agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's probably the, yeah, he's top two in that. Yeah. I'd agree with you. Some of the best discipline in all baseball. Yeah. And you know, you have to, I love the way he approaches the at bat at bat too. Like it's just, you, you know, you know, when Javi Baez goes up to the plate, you know, he's going to swing. When Joey Votto goes to the plate, you know, he's going to take, you really don't know what's going to happen with Soto, but you know that it's going to end in a good result almost all the time. So, you know, the eye tool to me is off the charts. This is one of those, generational talents to me in terms of natural feel for the strike zone. So yeah, we all agree. I tool. What about the power tool? I'm curious what Dev and uh, Jim, I'll start with you this time. Jim, what do you power to me is a lot more of a toss up. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely more of a toss up and it almost, um, it almost feels like right now, maybe Acuna is a little bit ahead on him. Right. But I mean, it's next to nothing. I mean, it's, 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 
pretty much a draw to me. I, I think that um, maybe because of Acuna's aggression, we maybe see him uh, pop more home runs, probably per at-bat basis. Um, but, well, probably not really at, at that. He, just, he gets more home runs because he's taken more at-bats where – where um, Soto's at bats just aren't as uh, as much there because he's taken walks and and so much. So I I, I think they're equal to me. I think that uh, yeah, I think one's more. I mean, Acuna is more about um, generating power from muscle, and uh, and Soto's more of a sweet spot on the barrel kind of guy to me. But both carry the you know same distance, same power to me. Okay, Devin, what do you think? I mean, look, I, their career I, isolated power, it's 11 points apart, right? And <laughs> career slugging percentage, two points apart. You can go even to the stat cast metrics, right? Maximum exit velocity for both of them. Acuna has a 0.6 mile per hour lead on one of his batted balls compared to Soto. I didn't realize it was that close. So, I mean, when you just, when you look at it between the two, like, I think they get there differently. I agree, right? I think the, the aggression, you might see Acuna's raw power come out more often than Soto's. And that's probably the slight difference in ISO there, right? Like he, there's, there's a slightly bigger gap between his average and his slug, but honestly, like it's pretty indistinguishable. I, I think, you know, Jim's point about, you know, just the drawing all the walks, right. You just see it less often, but the raw power and, and the game power. And I think it's pretty much the same to me. Um, you know, they're the, both their last full season, right? Both in, in 2019, Acuna homered 41 times, Soto homered 34 times. And I think the difference in that is really just the at-bats versus plate appearances gap. Yeah. It, it's interesting. You know, I read a interesting passage in Jason Stark's book, uh, Wild Pitches, uh, a couple years ago. And he did a spot on Chipper Jones. And Chipper Jones uh, was quote, and I'm not going to quote it exactly because I don't remember, but um, he said, if I wasn't so patient at the plate, I could have gotten 3,000 hits. Soto's discipline is so on point with that. I agree with you. I give the edge to Acuna just because of the results. Because I get the feeling, because and Devin, you brought up a good point. You got to think ahead a little bit. I almost wonder if Soto's discipline, when we look back on his career, and it will for surely be a great one, we'll look back and say, you know what? He was almost too patient in the same way that that Chipper was in the early part of his career. Um, I don't know if that's off base, but to me, that that it almost like rings rings. Uh, it almost resembles it, you know. I mean, yeah, I, I can understand that. Like, you know, it's if you if you switch like if you swing right at three zero, like even on pitches out of the zone, if it's close, you might be able to get a better result. But I kind of always look at it like this: if there was a hitter right in baseball who did nothing but walk, but walked in every single plate appearance, so posted a zero thousand zero line, he'd be the most valuable player to ever play the game. <laughs> it's true. So, I mean, I think you can't you can't knock him. For, for walking as often he does. And, and he it's not like he's paying the price of being too patient by striking out so much. And so I think, you know, he's, he that shouldn't be penalized against him in terms of the raw, the raw Homer output. That's true. Yeah. And I guess in terms of penalizing, I wonder if, uh, if it would end up being like the difference between, I don't even know. Like, yeah, like, like some sort of milestone comes up. Like for Chipper, it was 3000 hits. Like he was only a couple hundred hits off. And they always said, and he, he was himself said, you know what? I was almost too patient. 
And, uh, but you know, I, I, to your point too, like, yeah, I mean, it, okay. You're, you're like one good thing for another. Like, are we really, <laughs> you know, I'm not going right. to split hairs over it. Yeah. And I mean, really, how would you, um, what would your perception be of say somebody like Carlos Santana, if say he was in front of, um, Trout and, and Rendon in that lineup instead right. of where he's been this whole time or say, you know, yeah, you, you can, if you put Soto in front of the, you know, in Jeter's spot for the 90s Yankees and whatnot, you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, you're not just saying, hey, you're not questioning that he's walking too much, right? Or he's too patient at the right. plate. You're like, this guy scored 135 runs this year. Good <laughs> grief, right? I mean, get him into the Hall of Fame as soon as possible. I mean, I think, um, you know, it, it's how it fits, right? So I think with Soto, I think what he does fits with that team. It's been enough to get a, a championship under their belt. Um, and, and I think they're going to be fine going forward if they can they can work around him, like we've mentioned earlier, and it's been mentioned a million times on Twitter. He's he's still pretty young, so uh, yeah, yeah. I I think that uh, I think they both have the right the right thing going. It's just two different right things. Jim, we could be Juan Soto's parents. I mean. You know, it's uh, it, it's been it, that point's been driven. My mortality has single handedly been pointed out to me on multiple occasions based on Juan Soto's age. I would assume that at least my percentage chance of actually being his father is greater than yours. <laughs> so, I mean, what do I know? I, really, I don't know much about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, you know, it's interesting because for me, like I was listing these off earlier and all of the offensive tools, I went Soto, Soto, Soto. You know, not by much all the time, but Soto, Soto, Soto. But when I got to the other aspects of the game, like glove, arm, and speed, I went Acuna, Acuna, Acuna. Yep. So, and I'm, and I, I'm just talking to you guys right now. I kind of get that impression that you know what, like, so, so when we talk about Soto versus Acuna, are we talking about? Um, a player that is one on one hand that is so exceptionally good offensively. They're both, you know, they're both amazing, but one that's so exceptionally good offensively that maybe the rest of the aspects of the game maybe aren't as important versus a player that has maybe a couple of holes in their game, but is so complete across the board that it it it's a it almost masks those you know what I mean, Devin? What's your take on something like that? I think Jim actually kind of made a good point earlier when he was like, you know, Trout's bat is so far ahead of the rest of the sport that a five tool guy like Mookie Betts doesn't come close. I would say it's similar, but it's not the same. I wouldn't say that Soto's bat has gotten to the point where it's so far ahead of Acuna that it's not close between the two. But I think it makes up a good portion, if not all of the difference. Right. Um, and the question is, is like, you know, it, they've always kind of been separated by like a win or two over the course of their careers. And at that point it's splitting hairs over the defensive metrics and also just like the base running and everything. And so, you know, the question is, is do you want more of a, of a like slightly better hitter, but it's, it's like when you say slightly better hitter, you got two <laughs> guys, you're pushing up against, against the maximum there in a lot of ways um or do you want more of the complete five tool guy and so i think that's kind of the question here um and that's kind of how i look at this at the the distinction between the two yeah and and jim i want i want your take on a on another on a different question but related to it you know when you talk about players that have holes in their game right we talk about like juan soto and his defense 
and we or we talk about Ronald Acuna and his strikeout rate. These both seem like things that they're fixing. Am I? And if I'm, tell me if I'm wrong. But if I'm not, that's a scary proposition, is it not? Yeah, I mean, if if anything, if these guys were just average at those other things, right? I mean, (laughs) you've got yourself, you know, still a hell of a ball player with the rest of the tools. So, um, yeah, you know, when you think about Soto, you really don't think defense. I think a lot of that is because he's not, you know, the big time defensive guy. He's, you know, in a tough spot, you know, out in the outfield to even rack up a bunch of D war anyway. Um, but he's he's sound, right? He doesn't look like you know Clint Frazier running around out there, and every ball is lost in the sun if it's the middle of the night or if it's the middle of the day, right? It's uh, he's he's not that. He's got a solid arm. He knows his position. He understands baseball. He's uh, baseball smart, which is you know something that you don't see on your tools list, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think that you can knock him, you know, solely for for defense any more than you know you can knock Acuna for his strikeouts. I mean. You know, what do they say about strikeouts? At least when you strike out, it's only one out, right? It's right. not, you know, hitting into double plays like pools or something like that. So um, an out's an out. As long as the rest of your production's there, well, you're not going to hit in too many double plays. It's strikeouts is what you got. So, yeah, not really, you know, if, if they're average with these things, then they're still hell of a ball player, yeah. both of them. Yeah, and I think one point, too, is a question about Acuna's value going forward is with Christian Pache now playing center for the Braves, he's going to lose some of that positional bonus he gets from playing center field. And the idea of the positional bonus, right, is to make all the defensive positions relatively equal. But, like, is is he actually going to get enough defensive runs saved, like playing right field to make up that gap? Like, I don't know, right? Those are averages. And right. so, you yeah. know, over the course of the – all the right fielders versus all the center fielders, the answer is yes. But on a one, you know, player by player basis, you know, you just have to, you know, see how, how it ends up working out. That's a good point. And, you know, for damn sure, they're not going to move Pache out of center. You know, that, that dude's glove. That's his thing. Yeah. That dude's glove takes up the entire center field. But (laughs) uh, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I, I wonder over time, how that's going to average itself out. Like, you know, this whole glove, this whole idea that, you know, Juan Soto, and and you've seen some pretty wide variances in his, like, well, just use defensive run saved as a, as a, as a, uh, as a metric, you know, he's been both negative and positive by significant margins. So I wonder too, you know, I hate going back to the age thing again, but it's true as you get older, as you get more experience, it's only going to be, it's only going to get better. Right. So, no, and, and look, I mean, it's obviously way too soon to tell. I mean, I think the rule of thumb is like three full seasons mm-hmm. of defensive run saved metrics and UZR metrics before you can really conclude whether the player is good or not at defense. But, and, you know, for the sake of it, right, 97 innings in right field this year, and he's already plus two in the defensive run saved. Exactly. Uh, so, so, you know, we'll see what happens, but you know, I think, I think that's, that's already an improvement. And if it sticks, like it'll help his, you know, 2021 season long value. That's for sure. I agree. Um, yeah. And when we look at like just the value of these two players for their careers, uh, I mean, if you look at fan graphs war, um, Cunha's got the edge, uh, 13.2 to 11.3. And then also on baseball reference war about 12.4 to 11, which is a little smaller of a gap. 
But both of those could be, a, you know, a, a large part attributed to the fact that um, Acuna has been playing center field someplace where mm-hmm. Soto's never, ever played before. Right. But now he's uh, in the same position as Acuna. They're both playing out in right field now. So I think going forward, we'll have a better sample to work with, but it's going to need to be a larger sample to really understand. These guys are just, they're just too young and too new, even though we've had the pleasure of watching them for over three seasons now. So, Well, I, yeah, and I think, you know, that's a, a really good point. And if you look at the components of Fangraphs war, especially, right, like Soto's 91 and a half runs above average on batting to Acuna's 79.3. So, yeah. so pretty, pretty big gap there, but the rest of the gap is made up Right, he's got 13.7 runs on the bases. Soto's 0.4. Right, he's an average base runner. Yeah, and the field Acuna's plus 1.2. Soto's minus 7.1. So there's an eight-run gap there, and then the positional adjustment is another near eight-win, eight-run gap. So you know the whole win. You know he's he's just shy of two wins better for their career. You know you get like 16 runs of those 20 <laughs> from fielding and positional. Right. Yeah. It's it's interesting, you know. This is some uh, a comparison. I don't think it will be the last time this comes up for sure, but it, it's fascinating because it's almost like two different approaches to the game in in a way. You know what I mean? It's I'm going to hit well enough that the rest will fall. The Ted Williams approach, right, where you're just going to fall into place, and then like the Willie Mays approach, just the across the board talent. It's fascinating to watch. But let's be real; they're not the only like really good players right now. So I wanted to ask you guys, like, what are some other, some other entrants to a pool like this? And I'm not saying one or the other. I know Acuna Soto is the hot debated one, but like, what are some players that like, when I did this Twitter poll and granted, I'm not as popular as either of you by like a fraction, uh, but like I, the only suggestions I got otherwise were, was Aaron judge and, oh, someone said Soto was ahead of bets. So whatever, you know, but like, um, what are some players that maybe like we talked about Alex Bregman? Um, we talked about Cody Bellinger. What are some other players that maybe enter this pool, but we're, we're not really talking about as much. I don't feel like judge is one of those guys. I don't, I just don't feel like he's, uh, I, I don't even know if I can find him anywhere near my top 10. I mean, it's, it's hard to get it right off the top of my head, but I mean, just, uh, you know, he's, he's not the, as fast as he was before. I mean, he's tall. I mean, he's right. can take long steps and stuff and whatnot, but as goes for a, a complete position player, I mean, he's good in the field. He's, he's good at the plate, but I mean, it's just the last uh, few seasons really haven't shown that he's in that elite territory to me. So I kind of, I know I would shrug that one off. I would, I would definitely enter in like a Freddie Freeman before I'd enter in a, a Somebody like, um, yeah, before I'd enter in somebody like judge. What do you think, Devin? I mean, I think in some respects it's, it's tough to say right now because our last full season sample of data is 2019. Right. And so like, we love talking about Acuna because he's just started 2021. So hot. Oh, this guy's going to be an LMVP, all this and that. And then it's so easy to say, okay, well this guy stunk in 2020 but it was 2020 like right. like who like who knows right who like they only played in their region like they you know it was it was a pandemic like everyone's output across the board and in every industry was down mm-hmm. which makes guys like freeman all the more impressive so like christian yelich would be right here and you know he hit poorly last year 
Um, and he hasn't started off great this year and he's hurt now. And so like, he's just completely flown off the board. But if you were having this discussion at the end of 2019, he'd be number three, full stop. Right. And Cody Bellinger would be up there too. Right. It, it would be, Oh, trout bets, Bellinger and Yelich are like the four best players in baseball. No questions asked. And then, Oh, Acuna and Soto are kind of up and coming, but you know, not, neither of them put up back to back near eight war seasons. So it's right. hard to know, right? You know, we really like Acuna and Soto because Soto had a 200 WRC plus last year and Acuna has been the best player in baseball by a wide margin to start this year. But I think we need to wait and see and gather more information on like, does Christian Yelich just suck now? Or, I mean, compared to where he was <laughs> those two years and, you know, where's Bregman at and, you know, how's Rendon going to age? Cause he's, an, he's one that I like too. You know, he put up back to back to back six plus war seasons on fan graphs. And then last year still posted a 154 WRC plus, which was the exact same figure he posted the year before. So he produced well in the, during the pandemic shortened season. So again, I think we need more information, right? Yeah. And I think Acuna and Soto are great choices and they're excellent Paul players, but for whatever reason, there seems to be a question mark around all the other guys and like Bellinger too, right? Like did, what he kind of had was cold last year also. Right. And like, who knows why? Right, you had a 114 WRC plus last year coming off of 162. Yeah. Like what percentile outcome is that for a guy who, you know, for his first three seasons in the majors was a 140 WRC plus? Did he put up like a 25th percentile season last year? Like who knows? Yeah. It, it's it, it's fascinating to watch because I agree with you. It's almost like 2020 upended a lot of these debates. It's it, it's almost like we can talk about it, but it always feels in the abstract. And I wonder if Devin and and Jim, I'm sure you guys both feel the same way where it's like, there's always this caveat where it's like, yeah, okay. You know, Acuna Soto, Bellinger judge, like I like having these debates and I, and a lot of us do, you know, we like having these debates, but we we're always constantly like caveating the whole thing with like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Bellinger proponent. I think Bellinger, you know, he's worth 37 defensive runs saved in the outfield, more in right field than center field, but he, he's a good fielder. I think he fixed a lot of the strikeout problems that he had, um, you know, from the left side of the plate. I, I, I think him and Soto are like one and one a in a lot of ways. So I, I kind of feel like in, uh, you know, and by the way, he was the 17 rookie of the year and the 19 MVP which is the last full year that we have. And, and that just p- speaks to your point, Devin, where if, if we were doing this, w- if we were only qualifying full seasons, Cody Bellinger would be in the middle of this discussion because he's the fucking MVP from 2019, <laughs> the last right. full season we have. Jim, what do I, you I, think? Oh, go ahead, Jim. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's what, it's what do you, you can't, you could leave Tatis Jr. off this list, and it's going to make somebody upset because it's just over, you know, last year or Lindor signing right? the contract or right? Jose Ramirez even. God, yeah, yeah Ramirez. Ramirez one. Um, but I mean, there might be people as as far as saying, "Hey, what are you going to talk about?" You know, Vlad Jr. Right? I mean, there's a guy that can smoke a baseball off the bat, but you know, uh, but at the same time, I can still see me from two years ago going, man, I can't wait to see what Matt Chapman looks like in 2021, 2022 going right. forward and stuff. But you know, if we're going off that last great full season, you know, where we got to 
go to baseball games and watch all the baseball games and they didn't have runners starting on second base and extra innings. We <laughs> the before had, times. <laughs> we, yeah. You know, we had the Matt Chapman's Christian Yelich's and the Cody Bellinger's, but it is hard to make a, a group and, and put together a list of top 10, top 20 when, you know, we've just seems like we've got two small sample sizes to work with. And then the last full sample size seems to almost be outdated. So Devin, I'd put it to you. Is this is is this more of a tiers thing? Should we be thinking in terms of tiers for something like this as opposed to individual players like one, two, three? I mean, yes and no, but I still think you run into the same sort of discussion and, and problems, right? Like when you come back to Bellinger, it's like, you know, his 2019 season, he's in like a much different tier than he is from his 2020 season. Right. It makes this, it makes these conversations a lot worse. And it makes a really, a really interesting question about like, what is true talent level? Right. Because, and, and how do we, how do we like evaluate such significant deviations from what we've expected to be the true talent level in a pandemic shortened season where like, you know, even if, I think personally, like, in a hypothetical world where they played 162 last year, I still think we would have seen some weird performances, no fans, still a pandemic. Like, you know, there's so much added stress, no in-game video, right? you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, no social, like all of that, that all has impacts on these guys. And I still think even if we had a full season's worth of data from last year, like I'm not sure that we could even say that really of that is like true talent. And the fact that we only have a third of a season's worth of data, like what do we even do with it at this point? Right. It, it, you're, you're hitting on something very, um, it, that's really the crux of a lot of this is that, and why I even debate I'm going to be honest with you. I debated on even having this as the theme of the, of it, of the episode, because it's so, it's such in the abstract. It's so, all right, well, yes, but yes, but yes, but. So, you know, let me, uh, let me ask you this and I'll put this to both of you guys. Um, you know, Jim first, how, how long, how many, you know, you say three seasons for defensive runs saved, right? But like, and in what year are we sitting back and having this debate and I'll, and I'll pull the, I'll pull three guys out of the heap here. I'll, we'll, we'll pull the guys out of the heap, right? We'll pull say like Soto, Acuna, Bellinger, um, you know, uh, Bregman, guys of, of somewhat similar age bracket, right? And we'll say, all right, well, what year does this all normalize? What year do we just say, you know what, like, okay, now we have a reliable data set. And, and Jim, I'll start with you. Where, where, where does this start? To, where do the caveats start to fade? Boy, yeah, it almost feels like you, you need, yeah, a couple of years at least, I mean, of, of full-time play. I, just to be able to get a feel because, I mean, if you're trying to answer the question of who's better today, right, then you're kind of wanting to use, uh, you want to use past information, but it's got to be recent past information, right? So now, do you really want to stretch back three years or do you just want two solid full years worth of information? And then, you know, say like it was 2019, 2020, we're a full season and we're, you know, two and a half weeks into the, the, this season, I feel like that's enough to understand who we think is today's player. Right. Um, 
I, I think if you're, you know, if we were doing historical, right. And you wanted to look back, right. I think you, you'd take four or seven years worth of data and group it together to look back to this, uh, this time of day and be like, Oh, okay. From 2020 till 2027, it felt like, you know, Alex Bregman, this person, this person, this person were those people. I think the larger data set belongs to them. But I think if we're trying to aim for today, two years, three years, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess there's relativity maybe back four years, but I mean, does anybody feel confident going back to, 2017 or 2016 and being like, you know, hey, hey, look at what Jose Altuve did, right? I mean, does that make up for the conversation today? And it almost feels like you just wipe it clean. And and I know Jose Altuve was a terrible example because nobody knows right, <laughs> with, exactly. with the Astros, right? So, yeah. Uh, Devin, what do you think? I mean, I think it... Like maybe it's a cop out to say, so I think it depends on a player to player basis, right? Like if we're at the All Star break and Cody Ballinger's hitting 300, 400, 500, we're all like, okay, last year was a fluke, mm-hmm. right? And if and if and if you know he finishes the season hitting that, and we are all just like, okay, like twenty twenty is a fluke, and then I think our you know our understanding of who Cody Ballinger is as a player going into next season is just like, all right, the guy who was in nineteen, the guy who was in twenty one is the same guy, you know, that's what that's kind of what we should expect. Um, and so I think, you know, it depends on a player to player basis, right? If Cody Bellinger goes in the all-star break hitting 240, 330, right? Like he did last year, mm-hmm. 240, 330 average OBP. Like, I still think it's fair to say, like, we don't have enough information to know if this is actually where he's at. Right. So I think if we see a regression of the guys back to where they were pre pandemic, it, you feel more confident saying, okay, they did it before they did it after there was one variable that changed. So that's pro and the variable being just like all the craziness. I think that's fair, but then, you know, is that variable a permanent change? I think then you need three to four years uh, right. as Jim said, like I, then I think if Cody Bellinger, it, Cody Bellinger woke up on the beginning of the, uh, on the first day of the 2020 season and became a 110 WRC plus player true talent or 115 or whatever he was like, he was 114 last year. If he woke up on opening day and became a 114 true talent WRC plus, we need three years to see that we need this year. We probably need next year, probably a year after two. Right. It's, it, it, and that's kind of how I'd look at that. Yeah. I think it's, it's fair to say, you know, it, it, for me, I'm thinking like 2025, I'll be able to like confidently like take a breath, look at a lot of these players because there's so much else going on. We're not talking about, we haven't brought up any pitchers because I'm not opening that can of worms. We don't have two hours on this show. Um, you know, we, we're not talking about Tatis. We're not talking about Lindor. We if you think about it, there's not an infield. There's not too many infielders. We really talked about at all, you know? So, uh, you know, it, it, we, when it comes to the normalization of the data, because now we're also talking about all the other variables that go into it, the deadening of the balls, the possibility of moving the mound back to me, uh, this, you know, I'm not known, Devin, I'm not known for a lot of, I'm known for a lot of goofy opinions on this show, but like the inevitability of the mound moving back about a foot to two feet, you know, like things of that nature, all those variables going into it, I wonder, you know, and if it's 2025 and we're looking back on this and now we have a normalization, now we have Acuna and Soto and Bellinger, we have these guys reaching their peaks or at least getting to those peak ages, uh, if we're really going to feel confident in the data that we see. 
Um, so, so anyway, so that was, that it's interesting. Um, I wanted, uh, there's two things, uh, one I prepared for one. I didn't, uh, first, um, Devin, uh, I wanted your, I wanted your take cause we're going to, I don't, I'm not good at pivots either. We're just going to pivot here. Um, you know, what, what's your take on the sticky stuff? Like, you know, where we talk a lot, like there's, I am nauseated by the talk of sticky stuff right now. And like I read the MVP machine. So, you know, so, you know, you know, I've read about Trevor Bauer and all that stuff. I'm nauseated by the talk of this. And I am of the opinion that we're just unboxing another friggin' steroid thing again. Like we don't know who did it. We don't know what it, we can't quantify it. It's like the Mitchell report all over again. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's it's just so hard to know, right? Like, seeing Trevor Bauer's, you know, spin rates jump year over year, star over star, and he's also on the record saying, oh, yeah, I've looked into possibly everything I can to see spin rates increase, and there's nothing I've been able to figure out other than, you know, using pine tar or whatever sort of um, bullfrog or, or, you know, I know pitchers use, like, sunscreen and stuff, and um, and so like, yeah, like obviously you're going to do that. If you think it helps question is like how much, no idea. Like everyone's like, Oh yeah. Trevor Bauer only won the Cy Young. Cause he was using punch. Like, I don't know if that's true. Like there's no way to know if that's true. Right. But, I mean, I, he was, he was always a, a good pitcher with pretty decent peripheral peripheral stats, like over a 60 game season. And I didn't, don't think it was like, like, impossible for him to put up like a 173 ERA, like with right. a, you know, a guy who put up a 244 FIP in 18. Right. And so like, I don't know, right. Like, I don't know. And again, I think it's used pretty widely across the league and, you know, in the, the bigger issue too, is like the hitters like it because they know that the pitch is going to be more accurate. Right. And so like, how, how are you supposed to police something that in some ways both sides are kind of fine with? Right. Jim, what do you think about this? I don't have you on record for this yet. We all, and we know all about the extra innings rule. We're we're not going to beat that dead horse. Uh, Jim loves it by the way, if anyone asks. Um, So, you know, what do you, what do you feel? How do you feel about the sticky stuff? My guy, Uh, the sticky stuff rule or the stuff, right? I mean, it's just, I don't know. To me, it's, it, it shouldn't, I mean, it shouldn't be part of the game, I guess. Right. I think that I think if there's going to be something to the effect of, well, we want better control for our pitchers so that uh, we're not hitting batters and the batters are like, yeah, that's what we want too. Then whatever that has to be, has to be an even playing field. And I think that's where the issue is for me. If you want to go with sticky stuff, then you got to give everybody the same sticky stuff and say, this is the approved sticky stuff. If you don't like it, then well, that's too darn bad. You could, you could use the alternative and not use it. And now the hitters don't like you because you're wild and you're not going to stay in the league very long because you're wild. So, so you're, you're taking uh, the medicinal marijuana approach. It's yeah, like, it's if you're going to do it, if you're yeah. going to do it, then everybody uses the same stuff. Yep. That's yeah, interesting. I hadn't heard that yet. Yeah. I, I prefer that, you know, foreign things like that weren't part of the game, but you know, we've got a lot bigger issues I think than that. And uh, I think maybe moving the mound back and and everything else to go with it might show some pretty crazy uh, spins, right? Some, some wacky sliders that we aren't already seeing. If we've got a little more distance between the pitcher and the plate. Um, Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a sticky subject. Yeah, <laughs> I like what you did there. Uh, what? What? How do you guys feel about moving the bound mound back? I love it. I'm a big. I'm a proponent of it. 
I want it. I want it at 61 feet, six inches. Devin, what do you think? I don't know that it's going to have the desired effect. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think the, the whole thing that baseball wants that I feel like makes sense is like, all right, like too much of this game is walks, strikeouts in home runs. I think if you move the mound back, you're going to get fewer strikeouts because the pitches will be coming in slower, but you're probably just going to get more homers. Like there's, there's nothing that I think is inherently incentivizing the hitters to just go the other way and put the ball in play right. by moving the mound back. I don't think that's the result. I think the result is okay. It's now easier to hit. Congratulations. Someone's going to hit 75 home runs this year. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I look I'm, in one foot might not do that. Right. Like a hundred mile an hour fastball is what? Like, come, like it already loses some juice on its way to the plate. So now instead of coming in at like 93, it's coming at like 92, 91, like, right not going to make a huge difference but i do think you would see an uptick in offense but not in the way that you want because again there's really no other there's no incentive not to homer and now it's actually easier to do so right it's uh go ahead jim i like it i like putting the mound back a foot but i think the uh the piece that's missing that goes with it is that when you actually move the mound one foot farther away from home plate, you need to shift home plate and the rest of the field away from the outfield walls. I think, uh, you know, the one thing that, that people like, I mean, is Coors Field baseball, right? I mean, it's a high scoring run environment, but it's also a high scoring run environment because of how many triples and doubles get hit there because there's just so much field to cover because it, I mean, thin air, they had to put the walls back. Well, it's just that much more ground for the outfielders to cover. If ballparks looked more like that and had more ground to cover, then, I mean, even your outfield shifts wouldn't be enough to take away doubles and triples. And I mean, if that's what we are looking for, we're looking for more balls in play, more action plays and things like that. I think, that would be a little bit better. So as much as I like it going back a foot so that we can get more, uh, the mound going back a foot so we can get more balls in play. I think we also need to push the fences back to get more balls in play. I actually, that's my favorite suggestion that I like that more than wow. mm-hmm. banning the shift. I like that more than moving the mound back. I actually like that more than anything else because it's something we wouldn't notice, right? right. If there was a ban on a shift, it's like, Oh my God, this is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And and I, I don't think we would notice if the ball in the fences in every ballpark were moved 10 feet back. 10 feet. And that's a lot. I don't think we would notice. Right. Yeah. And that would and I, wouldn't I that even like that. wouldn't that even encourage a little more creativity on the coaching side because now you now your infielders have to play a role. You know, you see those hard shifts to the to the right side. Right. And now it's like, well, now what do you do? Like if you've got an extra 10 feet of outfield, maybe you, maybe you permanently move your second baseman back into the grass. Like I, 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 and maybe the infield, you know, the bump for a hit comes back to play. Like, I don't know. Right. Right. Like you add more space to the field. I I mean, look, I, I just looked it up, right. I'm watching Sunday night baseball. I got it on here to left center course field is 390. Wrigley field is 368. Right. And in the right center, it's 375 versus 368. So it's another almost it's an it's almost 10 feet. It's eight feet um, on the on the right center. But it's like, you know, over 20, it's 22 feet in left center. 
Yeah. Now, so a park that would even be somewhat similar to what I'm looking at, you know, would be basically Comerica with the mound move back one foot, right? I mean, it, it, it'll also still depend on who's playing in said park on the excitement value also, because, I mean, you can drive up triples there, but you have to have also, you know, better players to get better amount of hits too. So. Right, but even Comerica, 370 to left center versus yep. Coors is 390. And 365 versus 375. So, like, imagine Comerica, but with just even more space. I love right. that. Or the Coliseum. My favorite idea. Yeah. Or the, you know, if if you give, like, as much action is defense as it is offense. It is diving catches. It is, you know, trying to explain, giving that aesthetic appeal. You know, the game, MLB and, and Manfred and all the lawyers are always talking about, how do we get the younger people into this? How do we get the younger people into this? Well, you know what? Yeah, you want more action action it's not just at the plate you know it, it's in the field it's outfield assists it's diving catches it's double plays it's it's getting things it's robbing home runs and if you add more square footage to what has to be covered it's pretty clear that ball players now are not the ball players that were playing 20 years ago 30 years ago well 20 years ago not a great example maybe like 50 years ago you know what i mean they're not the same and you know, I feel like if you adjust the, we're, we're spending so much time trying to get the players to adjust to the game. Jim, you bring up a magnificent point because we're not talking about how to get the uh, arena to adjust to the players. So that to me is, that to me is, is a point, And I agree with Devin. We're not talking about this enough. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're not bringing this up enough. So I, I think it's, I mean, a lot of things that are discussed uh, are always almost discussed because they're, they're in the news, right? They've got to be the, you know, it's not even the majority, right? I mean, turn on the MLB network or turn on MLB network radio, right? And then compare it to my Twitter feed and, and you wouldn't get the same answer of popularity for the runner on second rule. Right. And, uh, and and do I know that people love the runner on second rule? Yeah, there's a bunch of people that do, but a lot really? of that's driven by the league. Yeah, it's a. I don't. Ridiculous. I don't hate it. I don't. I don't hate it. There's a lot of drive for it because if it's driven from Major League Baseball, but you know, Major League Baseball is also driving all the other stuff too. Like, hey, let's do pitch clock. Let's do this. You don't hear them driving. Like, let's move the fence back. Well, the fence being in is what they're looking for, right? I mean, they're looking for a Sosa McGuire year. They're looking for you know 600 home runs and a career type hitters and stuff like that. Those are the things that sell the tickets. Those are the things that. But is that for the average fan or is that for the well, remember we were belly aching about how big City Field's outfield was, and then they moved the fences in ten feet. Yeah. And or was it was it was it was it Shea? I don't remember. It, I think it was City Field. It was like right when they built City Field. It was like Sounds I remember right. talking about the fences were so far back, and this was like such a big deal. So they moved them in because the Mets suck on all things ownership <laughs> anyway. But they moved them in anyway, and now I'm like, okay, man. Maybe they maybe they were right. <laughs> maybe for once the Mets were right about something. Devin, what's your take? I mean, look, I think you move the I mean, you know, there's always going to be unintended consequences. I think if you move the fences back, right? Guys are going to be had they're not going to be hitting as many home runs. They feel like they're at a disadvantage. I know guys love to get out of Miami because the fences are so far back. Like they mm -hmm. love hitting home runs 
And, you know, if it was a league wide shift, I, I don't know that they'd be a fan of that, but like, at this, and I, and I also feel like another unintended consequence is like the games would take way longer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Like if you move every fence back, right. By 10 feet across the league, the games are just going to be forever. I mean, I think at least till there's some adjustment because there's just going to be so much ground to cover. So look, I think it's a, it's a balance. Right. And I, I like that more than moving to mound. I think like that wouldn't really have the impact of getting more singles, doubles, triples as much as people seem to think it would. And I like it more than banning the shifts because I still think you should be able to put your positions, you know, the guys anywhere they want, like why not? And so like, it might be the best solution, but like some experimentation could be like really funny because baseball games could take like forever, you know, or like, or like you slowly increment it. Like you move every fence, like three feet back and then there's no change. And everyone's like, why, well then why'd you do that? And if you move it back 10 feet, maybe all you're really adjusting for right now is the the change of baseball, right? I mean, it sounds like, you know, the baseball this year isn't the 2017 baseball. It might even be more dangerous, right? (laughs) It's got a better exit velocity. It's it's got the drag they were looking for, but it doesn't have the uh, slow down, right? I think it's called shifted seam wake, Jim. It's it's something like that. It's it's a disaster because now all of the stat cast stats are all wrong. Like I'm, I'm, you can't use any of that, right? now um they're gonna have to adjust for it because with league-wide exit velocities are up big time but they're not having those the same results all the expected numbers are not gonna be right they're not you're not gonna be expecting the right thing so that was just one thing that i just been on my mind constantly that's a great point right if you're staring at uh you know uh baseball savant while you're watching the games and everything else you really you you can't take the footage of a home run to heart you really just can't, can you? I mean, because those numbers are based off of a baseball that they might not be using. So, so. let me ask you guys this, and we'll we'll leave it here. Um, I, I'm curious. At what point have we reached the point where we are either too micro obsessed about the numbers of the game, or have have the powers that be really tinkered with the game to the point where it's creating? Uh, incongruencies in the numbers. Hmm. I, 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 I mean, I, I think that there's, there's, there should, the thing that should have happened is that the, if, if things were, how do I want to put it? It seems like we should have more. Uh, it's your show, Jim. You can say what you want. Yeah. I could be here all day <laughs> stumbling over this. It, it seems like there would be more, equality in the league right like there'd be more parity in the league i think if uh if things were major league baseball's way that they're aiming for and so i i'm afraid that's where they're heading devin what do you think like the questions like two numbers focused or like well are are we are is it in our minds that we are are we so hyper folk hypersensitive to the data and the numbers or are, is the league really tinkering with things too much? Like, are we are okay. we making too big a deal of this as as the more educated baseball fans? That's a real, that's a really good question. I don't know because on one hand, it's like this stuff is so cool and it opens up so many doors and it allows us to see an inside part of the game that I think is very marketable, right? I think it's really cool when stuff goes nuts on Twitter. Oh, this guy hit a ball 120 miles an hour. Like, I think that's awesome. That stuff goes viral. 
Because, you know, it's for the same reasons that we even love sports in the first place. These are humans at the basically peak performance and stuff that we can only dream of doing. And we've had pitch velocities for a long time, but we've never had exit velocities. And the numbers, I think, by nature of the fact that they're often higher than pitch velocities, just make our you know minds just blow, uh, blow our minds. And I think that's good. And I think that helps the sport. But I feel like it almost feels slightly dirty to be using the same numbers without being like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, yeah, this hitter hit a ball 120. But, you know, if that was last year, it would have only been 117. Right. And and like it, it feels like as someone who's studying statistics, right, like you can't just do that. It, you have to normalize it. Right. Like it has to be normalized. You have to put it on like, you know, in relation to the league scale. You basically need an exit velocity plus that now, basically. Right. right. Like, oh, yeah, that was a 120 mile per hour exit velocity, but actually it was only a 116 exit velocity plus because <laughs> if this was last year's ball, it would have been a 130 exit velocity plus. But, you know, all that. Um, or, or, you know, it would have been at a higher, a different point along the distribution. Right. Yeah. So what even, right. What are we even doing? Like, what even is the point at this point? Right. It is, it does feel dirty. Right. And maybe you are two numbers obsessed, but I also love the fact that we have this info. It's this such wealth of information about the inner workings of the game that like, it just creates this huge chasm in like how I evaluate kind of what I see in, on StatCast and what I see on Twitter. Almost. And I think the arguments, like I see uh, online anyway, are uh, when they're against, say, the analytics people, right? Those guys aren't like against numbers. They just they like their numbers better, right? I mean, pretty much baseball fans, you know, are more about the numbers than almost anything else, right? And it's just, I I think that the, the balance is just off. I think to me, I think both analytics and I think old school stats like RBIs and just runs scored and wins and and things like that that people still track and everything else I think are still have their place. I think that they just need to continue being just as recognized as say the advanced metrics are and that they're dealt out together. And it just needs to be a better balance of the two, uh, two things. And and if that's delivered better, I think it, everybody wins. It can't be just one-sided like, no, nah, I only like it the old school way. And everybody, nah, I only go the high analytics way because RBIs don't mean crap anymore. Right? Well, we know that that's not the way you're supposed to judge a player solely, but they still count the stat. Doesn't mean you can't have fun with it. So I, I think they both, you know, the analytics and the old numbers, they both bring something to the table as an entertainment value. And uh, I think they need to be a part of the game uh, quite heavily still. I think that the screen when you're watching TV should be covered in tons of numbers. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's the unstoppable force of nerddom versus the immovable object of modern capitalism. (laughs) Devin, thank you so much for coming on, man. It is, it's awesome to talk to you and uh, I'm hoping that, hoping that you won't be a stranger and come back soon. Of course. I, I always love talking, talking baseball, talking stuff like this, talking stat cast. (laughs) <laughs> better. Awesome. Yeah, it was a pleasure having you on, man. I've been looking forward to to getting you on and uh, and and chatting with you. I love uh, the stuff that you're doing out there. I love the fact that you're uh, you, you came back to Twitter for us and you got got away from whatever the heck you were doing that that took you away from us. So we're back. You're back. It's awesome. So yeah, uh, yeah thanks for coming on with us today. Do you, do you think you can put us in touch with? Uh, hold on, shut my notes here. Jeremy. Frank, Frank, is that? Am I saying that right, Jeremy Frank? 
Yeah, uh, I think you might be referring to Jeremy Jeremy Frank, maybe. Oh no, also. no, no, not that guy. We, yeah, uh, they, yeah, they, they, for the record, like he he may have more followers than I do on Twitter, and it may be harder to reach him. But but and if Jeremy, if you're listening to this, which I don't know if you will be, but if you are, I got the check. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <you>, yes. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna.